five, four, three, two, one. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Moon Tea Podcast. Today we have Ben. Hey guys, thanks for hey having ben. me. Yeah. <laughs> hey. And uh, I also want to point out that Hugh has really pretty plants behind him. So I agree. We have a plant theme going through a lot of our podcast episodes it would seem <laughs> i'll have oh, to yeah. find out what these are called though just a wrap so. and, and the lighting is perfect so <laughs> uh, we should have we should have put this right pretend, pretend there's a plant <laughs> i think that plant is some sort of like monterosa Disha and i were looking at plants today oh. so i think that's what you've got Hugh. but yeah you know, awesome you can it up. i will i'll have to ask i'll definitely find out <laughs> um yeah What's up, Ben? Uh, for some context, Ben is a friend of Leisha's. Um, he's from Vancouver, works in medicine. Oh, one thing I thought was cool is someone asked Ben, like, what do you do? And he said, I work in medicine. But I, f- I, feel, like, I feel like the normal doctor response is to be like, I'm an anesthesiologist. Like, like just oh. be like, I'm fancy, like, right away. But then... If you say medicine, then it's like, oh, nurse. It could be a lot or, of things. Or like public health person, or so. I thought I thought that was I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, I've been I had the privilege of hanging out with Ben uh, for many days this week. Mm-hmm. He's visiting for the week. Today is our last day, and and yeah, really really cool guy. Uh, we took him to a friend's giving, and he won literally <laughs> won a prize because because. Uh, you were the most, what was it? it? It was participation marks. Let's let's be real. It was, uh, I think I got the, the, the best participation. So <laughs> I didn't awesome. win the prize for the best response, but best participation. Was it a competition for something? It was, it was just like a, everyone goes around and talks about themselves. And then oh, wow. the, the, the host was like, oh, for an incentive, we have a prize. And then, and then we like voted for it and Ben won one of the prizes. Like, yeah. hey. There we go, Ben. I think I it's won. an honor to have you on the podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My biggest accomplishment right there, participation prize from a thank, uh, Friendsgiving. <laughs> I think I won like a bag of coffee and some popcorn. Wow. So it was, it was, it was, yeah, huge accomplishment. Successful night. Yeah, absolutely. I gave it back to the host though, but uh, it was a, uh, it was a big win. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dan, do you want to, do you want to like talk about yourself? And- uh, sure. Um, yeah, I think you kind of gave a good intro. Um, my name is Ben. I'm from Canada. Uh, so I'm very thankful that the Americans are very welcoming and had me for, uh, you know, most of this week. Uh, yeah. So, you know, Canadian, uh, grew up there in Vancouver specifically, uh, currently a uh, resident in anesthesia. I just started uh, earlier this year. Um, yeah, I think the reason why I say medicine is like, because um, I'm, I'm, I'm a relatively junior uh, trainee too. So I find that, you know, I, I don't want to say like I'm a doctor or things like that, because that's, uh, you know, like, I, 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 you know, I don't think I'm, I'm there yet. So I think that's, that's probably why I say medicine. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it, it's like residency, you're technically a doctor, but you're just not fully trained to be on your own as a doctor, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So you technically do have that kind of MD at the end of the name, but, um, you know, your responsibility is still kind of a, 
kind of a graduated process throughout the years. So, so yeah, sometimes like you, you definitely get more responsibility as you go through, but at the end of the day, technically you're still supervised at all times and any sort of decision that you make hypothetically has to be for the most part, like uh, reviewed with someone more senior. Wow. And residency is usually what, four to eight years, six years? Yeah, so it's, it's variable. And I think in the States, it's also different. But in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the specialty that you do is anywhere from two to six years for residency wow. alone. Um, yeah, so it's extremely variable, depending on how much suffering you want to sign up for. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> I've not heard of two year residencies in, uh, in the US. Yeah, I don't, I think... I think that the quickest one for you guys is three years is what I've been told. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Canada, family medicine is two years, but I don't think you guys even do family medicine. I, I think you guys call them primary care providers or something like that. Uh, but the system is a bit different, but the shortest one in Canada is two years. So, so it's pretty nice. Wow. Awesome. I'm so curious, like, uh, if you have any questions you want to go for first, John, but I definitely want to hear the background of how you even got into medicine. Oh, I've been I've been uh, getting to know Ben all week. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I think he's a bit bored of my stories by now, so I think you might have to <laughs> tell me. Tell me, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to repeat some stories too. It's totally yeah. allowed. I think I'm running out of all the good ones at this point. Oh, so. no. <laughs> Ooh, any favorites? <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm kidding. I think we, yeah, we've, we've gone to know each other pretty well though, I'd say over the past few days. So it's been, it's been great. Yeah. Um, little bit of a tangent, but how, how has your, your week of playing in New York city? Like how's that been? Yeah, it's been great. Um, huge city. I, I, I imagine Hugh, you've probably been here before, right? I don't actually know where you're from, but I imagine you've been to New York city. Is that right? I've been there a time or two. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, huge city. So like, uh, it's been great. Like, uh, in some ways, it's a lot more diverse than uh, Vancouver. I think that's one thing that we talked about quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Vancouver, like Canada is supposed to be super diverse. But for some reason, Vancouver has, um, you know, like we do have a bit of diversity, but it tends to favor uh, select groups. Um, so it's been really cool to see so much more diversity here. And it's just such a such a busy city. Like you guys have restaurants open all throughout the night, whereas a lot of Vancouver Vancouver restaurants open uh, like close by like 10 or 9 p.m. So like the culture is just so different, I find. And like, um, yeah, no, I've really enjoyed kind of uh, getting to explore the city and like seeing what people are like here. And yeah, it's been great. That's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm from Arizona, so oh, slightly okay. different. We have a similar type of lifestyle, like yeah. 9, 10 p.m. Yeah. Things close. <laughs> the bars or whatnot close at 2 a.m. Oh, okay. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it, it, it was definitely a bit of a, a shock to me when I, when I first arrived, but no, it's really good. I feel like New York City, you can be whoever you want to be. And that's, that's, I think that's why a lot of people like it here. I think that might be the right statement. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know. Have you have you found any, I guess for one week, I don't know how much, but mm. culturally just meeting people. Have you, I know there's some biases or stereotypes I'm not even going to bring up right now unless, you know, yeah. but what do you think? Uh, I don't know. I, 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 most of the people I've met have been through friends, right? So mm-hmm. everybody has been so friendly. Like I went to this Friendsgiving thing with, 
and none of them knew me, but they were so welcoming and more than willing to have me. So that's definitely not the typical New York person that I was expecting. Um, but also, like, also a bunch of the people there had had moved to the city right. like, in the last six months. Right. So they were mm-hmm. all like very open to building. They're not brainwashed yet. They're not jaded yet. They still have <laughs> a, a little bit of art in them. Um, but the there's a little bit of a difference, I guess, like meeting people on the streets and stuff. I asked for directions when I first got to the airport and definitely it's not, they're not as friendly as they would be in in Canada, but I think we're also a little bit too friendly probably at times. So yeah, the the bar is definitely really high. I think think friendly (laughs) is a good default. I don't know if too friendly is like, if that is ever problematic. Yeah. That's true. But I guess like in a big city with tons of people, you just don't have, the, the time or energy to like extend that like uh you know friendliness to everybody because you know there's just too many people around you got to really prioritize that energy for people you care about your closer group of friends and family i imagine so that's probably it <laughs> yeah did you grow up in vancouver yeah so uh i was born in uh, asia i was born in taiwan and then i grew up in uh, a suburb of vancouver it's called surrey um, it's kind of like a, a, a little bit more ghetto is, is what you guys would describe it as. Uh, it's a bit better now. It's, it's really grown, but growing up, it was kind of like, you know, I remember when I first went to university, I would tell people I'm from Surrey and then you'd get this like weird look because they never interacted with anybody from Surrey before. And it's like, um, we used to have a lot of shootings and stabbings and things like that. So we definitely didn't have a good rep, but, um, yeah, so I, but it was right right outside of Vancouver, so um, it was still really close to a big city. Wow, is that? I'm curious. Is that what got you into medicine in a way? Having seen such a, uh, or is that just news that you didn't really see firsthand? And yeah, it's interesting because most of the violence that happens in Surrey is targeted for the most part, mm-hmm. and so I was like a pretty nerdy kid, so I was really shielded from that. It's like I was always in the library, and I didn't really interact a lot with people that were involved in these activities um you know but yeah like I think in some ways it's it's kind of it it was like certainly formative to grow up grow up in an environment like that um but you know I always think back about it and like I I think in some ways it's like I think maybe it's it's if anything it's probably taught me a lot of um, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of good things because I think I uh, grew up in Surrey, there weren't a huge kind of uh, like Asian population, at least, or at least like um, like East Asian population. Um, so growing, growing up in Surrey, it, it was like, oh, you like really need to make an effort to get to know people and fit in. Um, but I think the other side of this is because of the amount of violence, you always felt like growing up that, you know, you're not supposed to stand up for yourself. You should, you know, cause there's always this risk that there could be something more violent if you were to be like, Hey, you can't treat me like this. And so there was, there's a culture of just you know, like not doing anything about like bullying and things like that. And just kind of being a lot more passive, you know, when I think back on it. So yeah, like, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's super related to medicine, but um, definitely a, little, a bit related to who I turned out to be and kind of my personality today, I think. Was it 
Uh, was Surrey pretty racially diverse? Yeah, so it was diverse in the sense that um, it wasn't necessarily predominantly white. So there were a lot of people from like India, Pakistan, um, I would say probably like 30 to 40 percent. And then maybe another 40 percent were Caucasian. And then you have maybe 10, 10 percent uh, ish or so that were other races like, you know, African, Canadian, Asian, things like that. So in some ways it was, it was pretty diverse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. So, and then I, I moved to Vancouver as, uh, when I started university and I haven't gone back since. So. You're thinking about moving to Toronto at one point and then. Yeah. I thought about it because um, I, I guess just for background, like a big issue with Vancouver is um, there's definitely like a, a diversity issue, especially when you're like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the term, but there's Vancouver City itself and there's kind of a broader Vancouver. It's like when you say New York, there's New York City, but then there's also this like broader suburbs that are kind of encompassed within this term. And but in Vancouver, if you actually go straight into just Vancouver City proper, like you, you find a big Caucasian population, you find a big Asian population, but that's really it. And so in some ways, we really lack the diversity that like Toronto has, for example. Um, and uh, yeah, so for a while, I, I, I thought about moving to Toronto just to be able to experience that. And it's also busier. People are more in intense and more ambitious. And I thought that would just be a good environment to kind of start my career in. Whereas like Vancouverites are known to be like laid back. You know, we like don't really work that much. We walk our dogs all the time. And, <laughs> you know, so, you know, I thought it'd be good to kind of spend some of my formative years in, in, uh, in, the, uh, in Toronto. So. That's, that's kind of how I approached New York City. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. In medicine, would you, if you wanted to move to, to, to Toronto, would you be able to? Yeah, there, there's a few ways to do it. So, um, uh, yeah, so like, for example, when you apply to medical school, you can choose to, if you get multiple offers, you can choose to do school there, yeah. similar to what you would do here. And then we have our matching system for residency, which is quite similar to what you guys have in the States. Um, and you can rank what you want, but the algorithm kind of pops out a city that you're assigned to, not assigned to, they favor kind of your rank and as well as the program's ranks and then just pops out one answer for you. Um, so if you just happen to not be what they're looking for, then uh, you don't have that much say. Um, so those are kind of the main ways that people move, move around. Um, but, um, I find for the most part though, it, it's, it's a bit random. So you don't really have that much control over which school ac accepts you for medical school, which school wants you for residency. Um, yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. It's similar to the system here. I'm pretty sure one of my yeah. best friends in, um, in college was in a doctor, I guess oh, cool. now a residency right now. Oh, and cool. They had, he was dating another lady who is yeah. a throat specialist, I believe as well. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to apply to similar residencies yeah. and there's a whole game to it. And they had to do this. Yeah. Just that is difficult. Yeah. It's in, in Canada, we call it couples matching and mm. uh, it's, I've, I've seen it ruin a lot of relationships. So <laughs> it's not easy. It's like, uh, cause you have to balance a few things. Like obviously you want to, um, with couples matching, uh, you know, you don't really, there's no big disadvantage in the sense that 
you still apply to all the schools and you can put in any sort of permutation that you can think of in terms of where you guys match respective to one another. Um, but the, the challenge is that if you don't get the spot you want to get, you know, you're left with this thought like, am I not good enough or is it because my partner held me back? And so a lot of people for that reason don't want to do it. Um, and then they end up being separated from, from their partner and things like that. So it's, it's a tough process. And like, I think part of um, a lot of the things that people are expected to give up when they want to go into medicine and go through medical training. So, yeah, but I, you know, I think it's true for a lot of other fields. Like if you have a really good job across the, like, you know, in New York, New York or on the West coast or whatever, like you obviously would want to move and go and you have to coincide that with your partner's wishes and, you know, who you're seeing at the time. So. Yeah. And yeah. you're still, you're, I'm guessing you are maybe dating somebody or are you? Yeah. Just, yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, my partner and I have, have been. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was like, he I was like, I don't see it. I no. don't see it. He I was like, see probably, it. probably take it. <laughs> um, yeah. My partner and I have been dating for a long time. So uh, when we were going through the matching process, it was, it was challenging for us because uh, my partner, he's not in medicine. So we can't do the couples matching thing. And so there was a lot of back and forth about where we want to go and, um, you know, like our priorities and things like that. Thankfully, my partner was um, uh, like super understanding and and he was always from the perspective of like, oh, we'll just go wherever you want to go. You know, your career is more important and things like that. So uh, for me, there wasn't a lot of pressure and uh, I could just pick what I, I where I wanted to go. So um i was pretty lucky from that perspective for sure he seems like a gentleman yeah i would say so <laughs> or at least on the air i would <laughs> <laughs> oh my <laughs> we'll talk more offline <laughs> once we stop recording i'll, I'll tell you the real details too <laughs> uh, oh, drama hey no i mean we did just have we had julie yang on uh, episode four and they were dating just this mm. past friday they got engaged so oh. hey oh. yeah we had we had julie and then maybe like two episodes before that we yeah. had thomas yeah and and then i found out they're engaged a few weeks ago wow and like, that's exciting i've never i've never actually met them in person but i've i've talked to them for an hour each and they're both lovely people mm -hmm. and i was like mm -hmm. i was like Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> did they talk about uh, their engagement at all during these podcasts i guess their plan for it or anything like that so on the way here, I just listened to it because my dad and mom love Thomas and Julie and they hadn't oh. listened to the podcast. And I was like, oh, we can throw it on. Sure. This is slightly like egotistical, but I guess. <laughs> <I'll have this." laughs> and, and there is a moment where Julie, John's like, you know, oh, are you guys married? And then she's like, oh, no, haha, we've been dating for four years. And it was like an interesting moment. And she's like uh i'm like pretty interested <laughs> and i'm like oh, I called her, I'm like, oh pretty interested and she's like yeah i'm just like pretty interested i mean i might just like marry the guy and maybe about <laughs> his babies <laughs> i was like oh my goodness it was so wow funny. and so yeah, he so. watched that episode when it aired and then proposed the next day right oh, oh no. he's like that was she's ready yeah she's ready she's ready yeah you guys no. really got engaged i'll take it yes yeah. definitely absolutely <laughs> go moon tea podcast here we go <laughs> um so so your parents listen to your podcast hey 
here and there yeah dad was yeah. on it too yeah he's, oh, he's been okay. fun uh, very 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 few times though <laughs> they're yeah. like we'll get in i'm trying to get them to learn about apple podcast or spotify <laughs> they don't know how to use tech yet oh, so they no. haven't been able to you know take a look have they just been like kind of watching it on youtube then the kind of the simplest I'll way throw it on here and there with dad yeah. will take a look here and there and or yeah. on the tv i'll throw a zoom recording if we just record it <laughs> and then be like yeah here yeah. you can get a sneak preview uh-huh. that's sweet <laughs> Early release for um for early screening for the VIPs, right? So <laughs> true, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, but back to you, really, Ben. Oh yeah, sorry. You're the star of the show today, and honestly, I'd love to hear more. Um, I I'm happy to we're happy to talk about anything, but I'm just really genuinely so curious about mm. origin stories of how people get into certain career paths, and yeah. I think medicine is one of the most Hmm. I think medicine as a career path, is, path, especially becoming a doctor, is one of the most, uh, you just have to dedicate so early on for so right. many years. You have to do pre-med and undergrad, right. go to MA or get your MD, I mean, and goodness, and then residency, yeah. and then even specializing from there. How right. Right. did that process go for you? How did you end up in this spot you were in? And yeah. what did you think about any struggles? Yeah, well, like there were tons probably of none. Struggles. You're like never. No, 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 no. We, <laughs> was, we, we can talk I woke for, up. Yeah, I would, I would, I would take up the the next fifty episodes of this podcast if we wanted to talk about the struggles. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so you know, like um, I, I think back on this a lot, and I think um, I, I think the classic story you always hear about people that go into medicine is like they were inspired at some young age by like whether their experience in medicine or um, like a family or a friend's experience in medicine or something like that, or, um, you know, and you always say things along the lines of like, Oh, I've known for uh, ever since I was five or six or seven or eight or some like an insanely young age where there's really no real understanding of what medicine truly is. Um, But I don't think I ever had anything like that, to be honest. I think even up until to be honest with you, even even up until my uh, my uh, last year of high school, um, I don't know what you guys call that here, but the the last year of high school before you go into university, um, I didn't think about medicine. I, to be honest, I I wanted to do science because that was what I was good at, um, but I didn't think about medicine. And it wasn't until I started my university when I was like, oh, like this could actually be something uh, meaningful and worthwhile. Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah. So like, uh, you know, I don't think there was like a big moment that led to, to me wanting to pursue medicine. I think it was a gradual process of uh, thinking about what I valued in life and being very practical and honest with the things that I enjoyed doing and things I didn't enjoy doing. So I think one of the big things I considered was like something research related and science and one of the earliest things I did was like do a bit of research and I absolutely hated it, at least the, the initial research experiences I had. And that kind of forced me to look at going, go back to the drawing board and, and look at what else I could do. Um, and to be honest, like even, even when I got into medical school, I, I didn't have a good understanding of what medicine was because I didn't have no one in my family uh, like had a background in medicine, like no nurses, no doctors, nothing like that. So to be honest with you, even on my on the first day of med school, I didn't really understand what medicine truly was. I didn't know like what like doctors specialized. I didn't know what different specialties were and like what patient care actually looked like. Um, 
so I think it was a, a lot of just process of elimination and and I think fundamentally just thinking that I liked challenging uh, careers and I wanted to do something that allowed me to be challenged every day and I fundamentally liked learning and I fundamentally enjoyed working with people and I think those are kind of the main things that um, uh, drove me into medicine, I think, but it wasn't like a big kind of inspirational, like life-changing events, like, you know, no one died around me or anything like that, that led me to go into medicine. And so probably not the most exciting story, but, you know, you honestly, just really I, liked Ochem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was just, it was just, yeah, it's just little things that, that kind of um, slowly just inched me towards towards doing medicine. I think. Awesome, I love yeah. it. And then, how did you end up into into anesthesia? Yeah, uh, so that I thought about a little bit more. So there's also a difference between kind of the Canadian system and then the U.S. system. So um, I, some of my considerations might be a bit more specific to Canada, but you know, I, 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 I tried kind of everything. And I think the beauty about the Canadian system, which I don't really know much about the American system, but we have the opportunity to try a lot of different things and really get experience to kind of the whole variety of what medicine could look like. And so, you know, I, I took advantage of that. Like I started exploring different medical specialties since first year and all throughout my entire experience. I think every medical specialty, um, possible I probably spent a week or two thinking about and um and so yeah I, I think it went down to just deciding what I enjoyed the most from medicine um and I think um you know uh, and um I think that the main thing that I thought about actually interestingly is I I didn't enjoy seeing a lot of patients in pain um and a lot of specialties um in medicine you have to inflict the pain on your patients in order to get them better so, for example, a lot of surgical uh, specialties or procedural specialties where you use your hands a lot, there's a lot of hurting them in the process in order to treat them. Um, so whether that's like a skin cut or, you know, like a minor procedure, like stitching someone's skin and things like that, like you have to be very or like or like sticking a telescope up like, you know, all the orifices of your, the human body and things like that, like. A lot of it, like you have to be okay with inflicting a certain amount of pain on patients. And I, I, that was the one thing that I just could not tolerate. I just, I hated it. I hated, I hated like, you know, the initial time when you stick the needle in to like freeze the skin, or right? I hated it when we would put like, you know, we would um, uh, take a little, like a scalpel and, and cut through the skin of an abscess to drain it out and things like that. And it's not that I, like, I, I loved treating the pain, but I hate causing the pain and inflicting the pain. And so I think that was a, a, a big thing for me as well. When I was choosing, when I was choosing my specialties that ruled out a few things. Um, and I think that was a big part of it. Um, and then the other part of it is just imagining what I would be happy doing in like 10, 20, 30 years and what I enjoy the most about medicine. And I think, um, you have to decide in medicine whether or not you want to do something that's, um, you know, like acute in the sense that you're, if you make a wrong decision, your patients could do really poorly. Or if you want to do things that allow you a little bit more time to react and maybe is a lot, is not super crucial. So like, you know, things with the skin, things that are more cosmetically driven, things that don't necessarily cause you to kind of die on the spot right away. Um, and I, I kind of realized that I was, I was more interested in doing things that could 
um, make a lot of impact uh, in terms of like life and death and, and, and like really challenging situations. Um, so I think that's what ultimately uh, drove me into anesthesia. And I can talk about it for, for, for ages because there's just so many exciting things in anesthesia. Um, but I think those are kind of the main, main things that, that drove me into it. I have a, I have a question. Um, you know, the, uh, the doctors that look at x-rays, mm -hmm. um, what are they called? The, so like radiologists. Radiologist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I knew someone who became a doctor and he wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I think for the right reasons, because he did, he did not want to talk to patients. Right. Um, and from what I've seen, that is a particularly dangerous career path to go through because because there are there are like software systems mm -hmm. that can mm -hmm. that can uh like see they can like see see the x-rays and then just like see something with way more precision yeah um and so that's an example of like technology kind of changing that like is is there anything from the technology world that like yeah. helps you, but that's like a recent development that helps with anesthesiology. Yeah. And, and is there is there any risk of uh, anesthesiology robots taking your yeah, jobs? Yeah, I think that's that's really the million dollar question for a lot of specialties, and anesthesia is a big one, um, and um, for for a lot of different reasons. So uh, again, there's a difference in the the way the systems are done, but in the states, a big proportion of anesthetics are given by uh, nurses that are really well trained. Um, and so there's, uh, that is kind of, that was really the start of kind of um, deciding which parts of the job doesn't necessarily need all the years of training. And I think that ties in with technology as well, because you can really, ident you can identify specific tasks that aren't necessarily, uh, uh, you know, that are, that if it's very precision precision driven could be done by machine if it doesn't necessarily require experience and training could also be taken over um so i think that was that was a big part of it and um anesthesia in general like from my limited experience has just been getting safer and safer and to this day is is like there's it's anesthetics in general like are extremely safe and so um there's a lot that technology has been able to do for us and i think um in the states specifically, there's been like inventions of specific monitoring devices, specific things that um, allow us to detect an event or predict some sort of bad event. Um, so, I think um, there's been a uh, definitely there like there's always a consideration that technology could uh, replace a few things like uh, parts of our careers and stuff and our jobs. Um, yeah, I mean, I think radiologists used to worry a lot about that because, you know, hypothetically, like a, a computer can go through and like pick out all the things. But I think in honesty, that's probably something that won't be in practice until probably for another 20, 30 years, probably not even in our lifetime. I think we'll definitely use it to help us along. But I don't think we as people are, are willing to accept that a machine has decided our, our health care uh, and not a person not a person that has done so many years of training. Whether or not that's actually because the machine is worse, which isn't necessarily the case, but I think a big part of medicine is making the patients feel like they're taken care of and 
take making the patients feel like they've been uh, cared for properly and like uh, dealing with their anxieties and, and their thoughts and their goals. Um, and, and that part of that, I, I don't think the machines are able to do. So um, yeah, I, I, I don't imagine uh, my job, like losing my job to a machine anytime soon. That's, uh, but you know, definitely like, I think it really help us out. It can save us a lot of time. It can definitely be great for patients um, and things like that. I think that's fair because even people who like work on AI and like make AI have specifically said this should be used to inform decisions and not to make decisions like we and yeah like uh reading i'm reading a book by um the guy who used to be the google ceo for like 10 years mm -hmm. but he was like he was like i want to be very clear about this it's like we should not be making we should not be like relying on ai for decisions but just like use it as a tool right and i think the part that at least I find interesting is at the end of, at the end of the day there needs to be a sense of accountability and I think that's the part that AI never wants to take on because any sort of like machine assisted prediction in healthcare that I've seen always has this little disclaimer at the very bottom like this does not you know like like take over the the decision uh, or like care of a physician yada 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 and I think at the end of the day is that they don't want to accept the responsibilities if they make the wrong prediction or the wrong judgment. Um, and I think that's the main difference is that as humans and doctors, you have to be accountable for these actions and that informs the way you care for patients and things like that. But machines don't necessarily have that sense of responsibility and accountability and whether or not that matters or, um, or not, that's, I think that's debatable, but I think ultimately, um, they're never going to be able to take over uh, the decision-making process because the machines and the companies certainly won't want to take responsibility for anything that is done incorrectly, right? So, yeah, I love that. <clears throat> Excuse me. That makes a lot of sense in the sense of being a really new, skilled and nuanced and being in a really skilled and nuanced profession having the oversight of the final decision, but also using any tools in it as an extension to improve your quality of care. I think yeah. that's really awesome. I am curious, the thought that came up, as you said, you know, don't rely on any AI, et cetera. This is going to go to John because he's a Tesla fanboy. Is <laughs> autonomous. I've thought about this quite a bit because I worked with someone. I assume Ben is not a Tesla fanboy, by the way. I'm not a, as much of a fanboy, but I'm definitely moving up on the line. Yeah. yeah. All right, gentlemen. So back to you, Ben. So with regards to AI, not driving decisions, but you're literally letting AI at level four, level five drive you. And then there comes a point where from a developer's point of view, they have to do the, the dilemma of if there's an, an elderly lady and three children walking across the street, and the Tesla has to choose between that and a parade of people on the right, and they have to crash into one of them. How do they choose? And I've always thought about that as a curious question. What do you think? Can I just say I don't like that scenario because a, a really good self-driving car should try to not even end up in that scenario. Like mm. we shouldn't, it's like we're a little too late at that point. You still have to account for it, though, don't you? 
Someone has to make that decision. Someone has to code that. I guess it it's depend it depends on how how it makes decisions, but yeah, it, it depend it also depends on what it's optimized for. But yeah, that that it, it it's like a high level like like thought exercise, I guess. But I, I'm just saying from a practical from a practical point of view, it's like we should try to not be in that situation. Well, sure. And so there's another question that I know my friend, uh, Kevin Hughes asked before, right? And it's the classic doctor question of if there's a train going down the track and mm -hmm. on the left train track is a mm -hmm. hundred people. And then on the right train track is one and you have the lever in your hand, which way do you, do you pull it or do you leave it if it's going left or right already? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard question. And, and honestly, I think at, at any, every, med students or pre-med has been asked that question uh, during some sort of interview process or, 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 or something like that. And like, there's just no right answer for this. But I think practically speaking, what we do in the world, in some ways, in some parts of our society, we definitely pull the lever to kill the one individual. But in another aspect of our society, we don't. So like, for example, in the current pandemic of COVID, we still divert a lot of our resources to unvaccinated individuals, um, which one person for, care for one individual's course of COVID if they're unvaccinated is so expensive that it can account for the care for a lot of other individuals who are vaccinated, right? So in some ways, that decision is still being made every single day about our society, about our healthcare system. And I think even our healthcare system can't make that decision. And I don't think as doctors and as individuals, we should be able to make that decision either. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's so challenging because as physicians, we're always taught that we shouldn't be making judgments about what that, uh, about the value and the worth of that individual's life, right? Whether or not you agree with their, personal choices, you agree with their religion, uh, things like that are characteristics or beliefs of this individual that shouldn't have anything to do with what we do to treat them in our care. And so if we go by that logic, then, you know, we, we can't ever determine the worth of the 100 individuals versus that one individual. And I think, to be honest, like, the, the person, uh, the right doctor would just you know, probably like leave it to chance. And I think that's what our society has done. Like, we'll leave it to chance. We'll um, not, we, and if anything, we just won't make a decision because there's no way that we can make a decision that's justified and fair, I think, and true to what medicine represents, I think. I love it. That makes, yeah, it's really interesting that you brought up the COVID question. And mm. yeah, thinking about it from that perspective, it's interesting because it's either, you know, utilitarian or not and such. Totally. And in this case, it's also the, the question of, do we federally mandate the vaccine for everybody? And that is very interesting of, should someone be able to do that? And if so, is it for the better of most and all? And should we have the freedom of choice, et cetera? And yeah. of course, you know, that's a very convoluted topic, yeah. especially in the States. I'm not quite sure about how it is in Canada, to be honest, oh, I would be yeah, curious. It is, I think it's, it's convoluted anywhere, right? And in, mm. uh, in any of the uh, developed countries, there's, once you have the privilege of medicine and care, uh, ideas like this will, will always kind of surface and, and come up. It's definitely not as controversial as, as the States, I believe. I think our vaccination rates are way higher 
um, mm. in the States. And, you know, we don't have necessarily have the same campaigns to promote vaccination. Like you don't get a free Metro card for getting vaccinated. It was really interesting. When I arrived at New York, I was buying a seven day pass and you can get it for free if you get a COVID shot. So I was like really considering like, hey, I'm willing to get a COVID shot just so I can save the $40. Um, but like, we don't have that in Canada. And I, I think it, it goes, it, it's, it's it, you know, it, it says a lot about our, I think our, the differences in our, in our communities, right? Like we're not at that stage. And um, so I, I think it is controversial and we've had a lot of protests and things like that, just like you guys have, um, but maybe in some ways a little bit less. How is the healthcare system again in Canada? Is Say that again, it, sorry? What's the healthcare system like again in Canada? Is it more yeah. like European or is it more American? Where? Yeah. yeah, I think it's more European. I don't know the European healthcare system that well, but you know, it's like a public system. It's almost like more of a socialist system where you know we we pay for everybody else's healthcare. You don't pay for your own co the cost of your own healthcare. It just goes into this big pool of money, and the government um, kind of allocates that to in the hospitals. Um, so that's kind of how our system works, and so it is quite different from the states. I was uh, at a hospital, like I was visiting a hospital uh, a, few, a few days ago, and it was really interesting. And I was giving, getting a COVID test. That's what it was to, earlier today in preparation for travel, and. Um, the first thing that people ask when they go to any sort of doctor that I've noticed is, is this covered under my insurance? And like, that's a question that you almost never hear in the hospitals in Canada. So like, I think there's fundamental differences definitely in our, in our systems. So. Ben, are there private practice doctors? And if so, what, like who, who goes to them? Yeah. So th there are private practices in Canada. Uh, they're a little bit more limited, so you can do private practice in based on what I know you can do private practice in areas of medicine that aren't covered so for example cosmetics if there's no uh, certain cosmetic procedures aren't covered ever unless there's some sort of medical reason for why you need to have it so cosmetic practices practices are a big part for uh, kind of private uh, medical care in Canada and the other thing is kind of a newer thing where some Canadians, those who have money, will choose to try to pay out of pocket for services so that they can get them earlier than people who don't pay out of pocket. So it, it's kind of a newer thing. And, and there's a lot of kind of legal battles about whether or not this is um, constitutional, whether or not this is legal and things like that. But there's surgical centers in Canada that are privately owned and operated and patients that can afford it will get surgeries earlier. There are imaging labs like MRIs, x-rays, CT scans that uh, are done, that are paid out of pockets. And if you can afford it, you can get access to those things quicker. Wow, that's mm -hmm. really interesting. Yeah, so, but, you know, I think in general, it's frowned upon and there are some restrictions in place. Um, I was always told that you can, you have to choose between either you work in the private system or you work in the public system. But I've worked with physicians that do both. And so I think for the most part, it's frowned upon. It's not uh, a huge part of our uh, healthcare system. But I think as we continue to face more issues with like wait times and things like that, it's going to get bigger and bigger.
Is there a shortage of doctors? Yeah, I think so. I think in general, there's a shortage of doctors in Canada, um, but the shortage is a bit more nuanced than that. I think the main shortage is, well, certainly there are some specialties where there's a shortage across the board, but a big part of the shortage is that Canada is big. Um, and unlike the States, even though it's big, only certain parts of Canada are developed in some ways. You know, we have a lot of land that mm -hmm. isn't well populated. So, you know, we have huge cities, but they're quite scattered and there's almost nothing in between. I mean, there's like a few towns and stuff, but they're not big towns. They're not always very desirable to live in. And there are big parts of our um, lands that just are, have crazy weather conditions um, that you can't even physically live in and things like that. And so I think the challenge in Canada is not necessarily the number of doctors, but the number, the number of doctors who are willing to live outside of a desirable location. Um, whereas I find in the States, at least my assumption is that there's so many big cities that you can still work in maybe a smaller city that's close enough to a big city. And in most cities that you live in is probably somewhat close to a big city, but in Canada, that's not always the case. Um, so I think that's kind of where the shortage mostly is. And so, for example, for certain specialists like surgical specialists or, um, you know, a lot of different specialists, like if in general, if you're, if you're a specialist in Canada, uh, the job market in the cities are challenging because there's a lot of specialists that want to work in the city, but no one that wants to work out of the city. Interesting. That makes a lot of sense. I, a friend I just met, we went biking recently and I met his sister, his older sister, and she just came back from working in Alaska mm. as the only pharmacist in a very, you know, closed off region. It was very interesting. Yeah. 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 So it's probably, Alaska is probably a hard. bit more similar to some of the Canadian <laughs> provinces where, you know, they're, they're kind of far away from everything, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But it's, it, it, I think it's, it's also like it's a, it's a big problem in Canadian healthcare, and I don't think there's a good solution for it. I think there's been a lot of proposals on how to fix this, but it's, it's, it's extremely challenging. And, you know, you're also asking doctors who have worked so hard and, work, and, and sacrificed so much to ultimately end up in a place that they have no desire to live in. And I think that's also not very encouraging and motivating to physicians because mm -hmm. like I understand the need, but you know, it, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow to know that you're working so hard, oftentimes giving up a lot more than other people are just to ultimately have a life that isn't what you wanted um, in the first place. And I think as a society, as we move more towards lifestyle and balancing kind of your life outside of work, it, it becomes increasingly harder to expect doctors to, to do that. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Hmm. And is there anything that we haven't asked you that you wanted to share to our 30 something subscribers um i mean there's there's so much that we can talk about like mm -hmm. um I, I have lots of opinions as you guys can tell already like uh you know something's probably you guys probably want to shut me up by now but like uh there's a lot of things that we can talk about so nothing specific i mean if you guys have anything that you're interested in you think your listeners listeners will be interested in we can talk about that otherwise you know there's a lot of interesting things that we can talk about for sure for sure i love it i love it yeah. well i know something that i'm kind of curious about is it's and since you both seem to be interested in you know as you mentioned tesla i didn't realize that that's awesome that's really cool is transportation how does as you're saying it's really difficult for doctors to find access and or you know 
be living close to centralized cities and that's why it's harder for other i'm spacing on the word not suburb like it wouldn't be suburbia it would be very like no it'd be like by rural itself. towns kind of yeah almost borderline villages and so how is the transportation system in general in canada in the main cities i think for the most part it's quite uh, comparable to like a city like new york and i would even say in vancouver in some ways our our, our transportation system is a little bit better <laughs> definitely much cleaner um uh and our service is better like uh, we get cell service when we're on the sky train that's what we call it in, in vancouver um it's hard for example uh like for example i uh as part of medical school in uh, vancouver at ubc uh, which is the medical school in British Columbia, um, we have to do a rotation in a small community. And mine was a community up north in BC of around 10,000 people. So it's actually one of the biggest communities in that area. But even then for me to get there, I had to like take a flight to a town that was maybe four hours away and then find a way into that town. Um, my and the other alternative is I had to drive 26 hours from Vancouver into this town and there that's going through mountains that's going through snow, um, you know, so I would say for the most part like outside of the main cities and the suburbs transportation is quite challenging, you, you have to rely on car driving, there's almost no uh, like we don't have reliable uh, airports kind of throughout the country. Um, and that definitely adds to it too, because hypothetically, if you had great transportation, you could kind of have doctors come in for a bit and they can go home and they can kind of just come here for um, a few a few days and then kind of go back and forth. And that way they can balance potentially that lifestyle as well as um, helping that community. Um, but we don't have that transportation infrastructure in place. Interesting. And so tech, what about from a technological point of view? Mm. As how do you think Canada, I'm, I'm guessing um, Canada is doing quite a good job in many ways. But what are your thoughts from your perspective? Yeah, like it's definitely not as great as New York. Like a lot of the things that you guys enjoy here, we don't have. Um, and, and I think it's, it's, that's the same that you can say a lot about a lot of other countries that aren't the States, right? Like you guys are a lot faster a lot of things whether that's like self-driving cars we don't have we don't have the full kind of unlocked uh potential yet in in canada or you know things that we talked about like ai and things like that so um i i find that we tend to fall behind maybe like five years or so so when you guys get something we probably get you get get it five years later <laughs> interesting is the Tesla self-driving mode in Canada not as built out or yeah, something like that? So uh, I forget what it's called now, but we only have the mode where it, it stays in the lane for you. Like it, it like mm. curves around for you and follows the road, but you can't summon it. Um, it, it there's no like full self-driving capacity um, or I think you, Can you change should... lanes. No. Oh, interesting. Can't change wow. lanes. Um, it doesn't stop for lights. Uh, it only stops for cars um that's kind of the extent of our tesla technology in canada interesting is it, that's is more it, from a regulatory perspective i'm sure the technology is there just from a regulatory piece we just take a bit lo longer i think to approve these things got it yeah that makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. wow very cool very very cool yeah so you're definitely falling behind a little bit yeah <laughs> hmm. yeah i don't know maybe it's 
I don't know, falling behind, but just kind of taking it bit by bit. Slowly yeah, it's sure. kind of nice though. Like we, yeah. we, we hear about it and we're relatively quick to it, but you know, we kind of, we don't get it until kind of all the kinks have been worked out <laughs> in some way. So we can learn from some of your failures and mistakes. Yeah, definitely. It's like, do you download the beta version or do you wait till V2? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm. I'm, I'm random. I'm curious. What are you, what's a, what are some hobbies outside of being a very oh, diligently yeah. and hardworking Hobby. resident, you know? Yeah. So, um, hmm. Uh, some main hobbies. So they kind of change throughout the year. For interests. So, yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I think I, I've definitely developed a lot more hobbies over the last few years now that I'm in a more kind of stable part of my career. But I think prior to that, there just wasn't a lot of time and I didn't give myself a lot of opportunities to have hobbies. There's always, for some reason, at least growing up, I always had this guilt associated with free time and interests and hobbies. Um, but anyways, that aside, um, my partner and I would play a lot of volleyball recreationally together a few times a week. Um, my partner loves to eat, so I, I often get dragged uh, to restaurants um, uh, often and have to kind of uh, enjoy the experience or kind of be good company. I have to enjoy the experience. Yeah. <laughs> <It's great. laughs> so funny. I just don't think my palate is as refined, which is what I, what I always tell him. And oftentimes, like what he thinks is really, really good. And, and the difference between really, really good to him and good to him doesn't exist for me. Like they both taste great. So I don't see the purpose of eating something that's like really, really, really good because it, they both taste really good. So like my palate just isn't refined to appreciate a lot of the fine dining. So we like to do that a lot. We spend a lot of time with family and friends. That's a big thing. And like, any like any Vancouver right we hike a lot in the summer we ski and snowboard in the winter and so those are kind of big things that we do uh, wow awesome yeah I've been I've been trying to learn a bit more about community and how people discover community and integrate in community and give back to community and I'm curious about where you live right now in Vancouver and such how have you and how do you and other Vancouverites I suppose mm-hmm. discover and or yeah. connect uh, is there anything that's kind of like cool that you guys use and yeah, how does it work that's that's a really good question so uh i live in vancouver itself like vancouver city proper uh i'm uh, kind of across the bridge of downtown and i live kind of where you know i'd like pretty central vancouver i would say so it's it's um there's a lot of businesses around where i live it's really busy throughout the day um in terms of community though like I, it really depends on who you talk to like some people would say cities like Vancouver like you can't find a good sense of community and I think it's kind of like the what people always say about big cities right like in big cities you can like you meet a lot of people there's tons of people but at the same time you're super lonely and it's so much harder to kind of have this sense of community and and like in some ways like I agree with that because I grew up in in an area where when you walk around town you would say hi to people that you see on the streets and I don't know if Americans do this, but like when, when we hike in Canada and be in Vancouver specifically, like you'll say hi to people that you see when you hike, like consistently. Um, yeah, in Arizona we do, but in California, yeah. usually not and definitely yeah. not in New York. Exactly. And like, I, I love doing that. But now that I've moved to the big city, when I do that, people like look at me weird, you know, they're like, what do you want? Like, <laughs> like, are you trying to like, I don't know, are you a salesperson? Like, are you trying to convert me to religion? Like, I don't know, like, like, <laughs> it's just, it's different. So um, I think now that I've 
moved into Vancouver, it's a lot harder. Like even to say hi to my neighbors in the elevator, it's a lot harder. Um, and so I think people have a harder time connecting um, in Vancouver. Um, and especially because it rains a lot. And so you spend a lot of time indoors and um, yeah. And I think like the, the community spirits in Vancouver is also, you know, I think some would say that it's a bit lacking. Like we don't have big festivals. We don't have like big events that kind of um, uh, bring everybody together. I think the last big thing that we had was the Olympics in 2010. And that was the last time that I saw like the strong sense of community. We would like be all out and about. And every time like Canada won something, especially like hockey, you would just hug a stranger and like <laughs> everybody was so happy and like <laughs> just walk around talking about the Olympics. And like there was such a strong sense of community. But like since then, we haven't really had any big events or consistent event um, that has uh, kind of created that sense of community, I think. Um, there's a big dog culture in uh, Vancouver. So I think like there's a big like community for dog lovers and people that have dogs. So I think that's one way people are trying to reconnect with their community. If you get a dog, you kind of unlock this, <laughs> this like community where you, you, you know, you meet a lot of people at dog parks and things like that. Are you thinking about getting a dog? Yeah, so my partner is really big into dogs, mm. like huge into dogs. I think his life goal is to have like a separate dog house, like a home for these dogs. And he would just have like 10 to 20 dogs in there and he'll just go in and play with them as a day job, play with them as a day job. Uh -huh. And then hire like dog walkers to deal with like the maintenance. And then he just goes and like enjoys their company. Like wow. he loves dogs and like this is his life goal and his life dream um so yeah we've been thinking about it but you know like um, vancouver is similar to kind of the bigger cities where it's hard to have a lot of space so we live in like mm -hmm. a one bedroom and it's not a lot of space for a dog and we also don't feel super comfortable getting a dog in, in a small amount of space because we want the dog to have the room to kind of run around and things like that and we're also really busy so like i don't know who would walk the dog my partner says he would but honestly i think it would just end up being me and i don't want to commit to that uh oh so. drama <laughs> um so i think we've been trying to hold off on that for a bit until we're a bit more i don't know a bit more stable and free and have a bigger space yeah definitely having the space for your dog to go run rather than having to always walk them especially in apartments yeah. is much more difficult in big cities Goodness. exactly exactly and like my partner is really into big dogs so he would never accept <laughs> like one of these tiny dogs he wants like a huge dog um so that's that's even harder a samoyed i want a samoyed yeah oh <laughs> um saint bernard is the one that he really likes and so um, what is it like a i don't know like those big dogs like super fluffy and like they're bigger than humans sometimes you can like ride them around a walking pillow yeah yeah he loves that he loves that oh, i love it yeah awesome. so ben ben was definitely uh selling vancouver to us when he was visiting he was like oh you know oh you're into hiking you know vancouver has hikes and i, I mean it, it doesn't it, it does sound really nice i i have not visited yet uh but seems like a really i mean i really like seattle and so it's just canada seattle like i feel yeah. like i would like canada too yeah yeah i i like i as soon as i met john i was like okay vancouver is just a place for you because all his hobbies a lot of them are like outdoorsy um and he loves nature and he has like he's got some some i don't know if you've noticed but he's like got some of these like alternative parts to him they're like borderline a little bit hip 
you know and like i think that's Ooh. totally fits with the vancouver tell. Oh, no, I hear. he went to this he went to like this surf and yoga retreats and that's like a huge vancouver thing too right so like mm -hmm. i just feel like all your hobbies would line up perfectly with vancouver rights and all the things you like doing like bouldering being outside biking there's a big biking culture like hiking <laughs> and like any sort of outdoorsy nature stuff like we you know, we that. got you. Go to yeah. Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, any sort of like outdoor activity, like you can do it in Vancouver for the most part. Dude, I'm we sold. Have to visit. Um, yeah, yeah, we might have to convince you to you, you to come, uh, Hugh. I um, have never. Have you had a I chance to, to visit Canada? Is have you ever been to Canada? When I was really young, we did like some little boat tour and ended oh. up there because there was storms in Mexico. So we ended up in, in Canada. And whereabouts yeah. is it just like- It was so long ago. Water? I genuinely don't remember. Oh, I'm, no. that's, that's so ignorant. It just, it's oh, like no. when you're so young, you don't remember yeah. exactly, but you're like, I went there, but I don't remember anything, you know? Yeah. So I think I'd that goes to the show. I think that, 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 that is one of the things that I think about is whether or not you should take kids and young people on vacation because you- <laughs> Kids don't deserve to go. No, 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 because you spend so much money on bringing a kid along and it ruins your experience for a lot of the times, right? Because you have to like watch your kid, especially when they're young and they don't remember anything about their trip. <laughs> they're ingrate, ungrateful. Right, like you probably spent your like your parents probably spent like thousands of dollars taking you to this cruise, and like you don't even remember where you went. <laughs> I, I look at them every day and I apologize. No. <laughs> I'd love to get also, to Canada. Also, as like a seven-year-old kid, like you probably just want to play your Game Boy. Yeah, like I mean, that's what I that's what I did when I first went to Europe. <laughs> played a lot of pokemon yeah they just dragged you as, along as you continue to play on the same game boy that you could play on at home <laughs> pretty much yeah um ben we we ask all our guests this but do you have any any words of wisdom or parting thoughts wow to our uh parting two, or, two or three listeners yeah this is this is this is a lot of pressure parting thoughts um Hmm. That's a hard one. I think, um, yeah, you know, I really don't know. I really don't know. I think one of the parting thoughts that I've learned like related to medicine is that, um, like, uh, I think hospitals are a lot, uh, worse of a place to be in than people expect. And I think that was like revolutionary for me when, uh, throughout my medical training. And I think this isn't, this might be interesting to people because, before medicine, I was always like, oh, like, why, why do people hate hospitals so much? Like, they take care of you, they feed you, they like, you know, it's like supposed to be the safest place to be if you're sick and things like that. But actually, like studies have shown that if you have a heart attack in the hospital, you're less likely to survive than if you have a heart attack outside of the hospital. I mean, there's a lot of confounders that, uh, that, that um, uh, are responsible for that. But um, I think it's just the idea that like hospitals are actually not as as amazing and as safe and as comfortable as people expect them to be and oftentimes because of the limits of like yeah, like uh, manpower and things like that like you'll, you'll see patients that get like so little attention and they hate being in the hospital and they, they don't even want to get better the only thing that they want to do is get out of the hospital and i think that's like kind of a, a really cool idea to think about like um the fact that like you know like especially if you have a loved one who's sick and things like that, 
you know, like, I think it's important to realize people don't want to be in hospitals and it's miserable. It's a miserable place to die. It's a miserable place to spend weeks kind of of, of like the last few days of your, of your, of your, of your life. Right. Like, so, you know, that's kind of something to think about. And I encourage people to think about how they would want their loved ones to die and, and, and realize that hospitals probably aren't a great place. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that's usually a good parting thought. Um, no, I, I think it bit, just, but... you know, it, it's <laughs> here first. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of room for improvement in certain ways, right? I feel like, right, like fintech is the big buzzword right now with a lot oh, of investment, yeah. but I feel like the next wave is probably going to be healthcare tech and healthcare yeah. improvements and such. So I, I definitely I think don't have really anything, cool. anything to say about fintech or anything tech. So I'll, I'll, I'll oh, just. No, no, no. I think, no, it's fine. <laughs> I. Uh, yeah i think, I think healthcare bit, tech would be good i think it was a bit morbid because we were talking about like you know dying and how people want to die and like uh, you know our relationship with death earlier today and that's probably why i thought of that as a parting thought so no that's curious to, to keep going down the morbid train before we part ways sadly yeah. is, is is canada right to choose like uh oh like in terms of how you want to die Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. so for the most part, it is. So, this is really interesting, and I think you've just unlocked this huge next episode. episode. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, but like, it, it's really interesting, and it's changed dramatically in the last few years. But mm-hmm. as of right now, in Canada, we call it medical assistance in dying. Um, and uh, for the most part, uh, you have complete, uh, uh, like you have you have the choice of when you would like it to happen. There are certain limitations. So one of the big limitations has always been mental health. So if it's for a mental health reason, oftentimes um, there's a lot of barriers to it, which is something I find really interesting. Um, and then uh, the other condition that has generally has to be met is that uh, either your illness has to have a foreseeable death or it has to result in a significant amount of functional decline that you can't accept. So that's a big change that recently happened that it just has to be like an amount of like this illness has to bring about uh, enough detriment to your life that you personally can't accept it. So even if to other people, it's not a big deal and you're not going to die soon. If you believe that you can't live with this, then that alone is enough to potentially qualify you um, for medical assistance in dying. So Wow. I think Canada is like definitely one of the um, like the like one of the countries at the forefront of this. And like, you know, we're making huge advancements on that. And there's been like a lot of bills that have recently been passed on uh, from this perspective. And yeah, so I think there's it's it's a huge it's a huge thing uh, in, in Canada. And I think the reason why I think about it a lot as, as well is because um, British Columbia, the province of Canada that I'm from, is also driving a lot of these numbers because uh, mm-hmm. we have a big kind of elderly population on Vancouver Island, which is an island kind of off the coast of Vancouver. Um, and uh, they like have one of the highest rates of, of patients wanting to, to have this um, uh, service and uh, being able to have the dignity of choosing when to pass away and kind of the conditions that you want to pass away in so um, wow super interesting stuff that is so so interesting yeah that's the cliffhanger for, for the next time you <laughs> have ben on right <laughs> yeah honestly i feel like if ben were open to it one day to come back on that would be really really awesome to talk more about 
Yeah, yeah. There's so much that like you can say about it. Like there's so much to be discussed, like the ethics of it, your personal beliefs and like the policy part of it, like how do you actually regulate it and how do you, you know, like allow people to have the rights to choose, but at the same time not facilitate certain things that could be detrimental to society and things like yeah. that. So oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, it's we'll we'll just put a pin in it there. I we yeah. can definitely go on. <laughs> and yeah so goodness i'm so sad that the hour or so is already up so we want in respect of your time and everyone else's time like thank you so much for coming on senior doctor in residence ben oh no <laughs> thanks so much for having thing. me guys I'm, uh, I'm honored to be here on your 30 30 something episode i don't, I don't know what the number but <laughs> it's something in mid 30s now kind of crazy yeah. but anyways yeah. it's pretty awesome um, yeah. This is uh, yet again another episode of the Moon Tea Podcast, where we talk about and focus on and try to delve into and discover what craft, community, and building meaningful careers is all about. So thank you so much again, Ben, for coming on the show and tune in next time. See ya. Thanks for having me. Bye, guys.